Hello. You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast, an occasional audio love letter from Brooklyn to the world. Maybe you found us by searching, or by accident, or because you listened, housebound, to all the other podcasts, and ours was the only one left. Or maybe you've been with us all along, and oh, we didn't see you there. Either way, we're glad you're here, and we hope you're here to stay. In the old days, or any time before a month ago, each episode of our show dove deeply into a different corner of life in Brooklyn and delivered stories, sounds, and scenery from the people and places that make it home. But these days, Brooklyn's changing, and outside of it, the city, the nation, and the planet. It's hard to believe that something you can't see and that can't endure 20 seconds of soap and water could devastate world powers shift global economies, and topple an empire state. But it's even harder to believe, despite nearly four years of evidence, that the people tasked at the highest level with staving off the havoc that a threat like that could wreak would be as ill-prepared, reckless, skeptical, and cruel as our country's leadership has once again proven itself to be. And perhaps hardest to believe is that as the death toll rises, the days count down to what might just be the most important election in American history, or what might turn out to be the last failed test of the American experiment. And infected with the terror that the coronavirus COVID-19 has unleashed, and the panicked uncertainty that November holds, our novel little show has adapted to survive. For the foreseeable future, we'll be posted at the intersection of an outbreak and a vote, on a corner we've dubbed 1920. Today it's March 27th, but who knows what tomorrow will bring. Brooklyn is socially distanced and sheltered in place, stockpiled, sanitized, stir-crazy, and scared. And they say it's too hard living, but we're afraid to die. And so we did what we always do. We called our friends, called our parents, called a meeting, called an expert. We talked to strangers, talked to ourselves, talked to a doctor, and even had a talk with God. We used our wits, we used new words, and we used our mics to record the whole thing. But even after all that, we didn't feel quite right. And so we went for a walk up Nostrand and found ourselves at church. But that just gave us new things to worry about, which nobody needs at a time like this. And so we halted and caught fire, turned around, and went to the park. But it was far too crowded to get six feet away from any potential human carrier. So we went into the weeds and made a new kind of friend. This week, we're surviving a plague. The only way we've ever survived anything, together, and the only way we can right now, alone. First, 
We learned what to expect and what to buy from a guy who could have told you that something like this was bound to happen. Next, we took the M train to the doctor for a checkup and a rundown. Then, we took our team's temperature with unexpected results. Next, in crisis, we tightened our community bonds. Then we grabbed a dictionary to figure out what everyone's been saying, and then went back to the doctor for a second opinion. Next, we checked our voicemail, and finally, we checked the weather. The ground is slipping quickly, and help's arriving slowly. It's been a long time coming, but we know a change is going to come in Brooklyn, USA. Here's Charlie. When New York City ground to a state-mandated halt last week, some people were more prepared than others. But few were as prepared as Jason Charles, one of the organizers behind the NYC Preppers Network. The group meets monthly to share ideas and information on preparing for the worst. Information like how many cans of food and gallons of water a person should have stashed away, or what goes into a perfect bug-out bag. You know, the bag you grab and you have to hightail it out of the city and get to safer ground. I met up with Jason as the novel coronavirus was just showing up in our communities and beginning to alter our lives. At a moment when preppers like him were starting to look a lot less paranoid than they may have once appeared. Here's Jason. Preppers, we have an imagination that allows us to get ready for certain events, whereas the average person doesn't. You look at the future differently because you see things coming. The average person sits there and they worry about smoking weeds or uh, what Kim Kardashian is wearing or what car is, is coming out. That's their future. That's the they worry about. I don't worry about it. I just look at things differently now, like knowing that a pandemic was going to come. Knowing that is why you get ready so that you don't have to worry about it. So my name is uh, Jason Charles. I am one of the organizers of NYC Preppers Network. NYC Preppers Network are a group of people who prepare for upcoming disasters, if you will. We just get ready for things that might happen. And so when they do happen, we, we're ready. When I started prepping, it was a bit overkill with my uh, supplies, and I started buying everything under the sun. As the years went by, I started seeing that the disaster is not going to happen tomorrow. It can happen tomorrow. It can happen 50 years from now. So what you need to do is get a few extra items over time. You don't have to get it all today, and you don't have to sit there and, and stretch it out either. Now, my ninth year in prepping, I don't worry about much. I know that I'm ready for most of it, and I don't have to panic like everyone else does when something happens. Okay, so this is my preparedness closet. I jokingly call this the end of the world closet. In here I have food, water, medical supplies, uh, prescription meds. I have lanterns, uh, extra water to wash my hand, not drink. I have drinking water in there. I have vacuum sealed rice, seasoning, 
sugar, flour, and this is what my prepping closet looks like. Now, this is just one part of my prepping supplies. I do have stuff all throughout the house. So today is March 15, 2020, and uh, the coronavirus is changing our lives as we speak. Has it disrupted any services? Not yet. If it does, then we'll, we'll, we'll know how bad it's going to get if the cops and firemen stop coming into work. They stop coming into work, we're going to feel it. I have gone out and gotten extra supplies, but I haven't had to use them yet because we're not at that stage yet. We're not at lockdown. Once we go to lockdown, if we go to lockdown, now you're talking about a different ballgame. Once I have to tap into my preps, I'll be ready. I'm not worried about it. Now, there are always curveballs in life, and that's the problem. So with the curveballs in life, you have to roll with those unforeseen events. Like I said, I'm not panicking. I'm not sitting there going, oh my God, this is getting worse. It's going to get worse. I know it's going to get worse. So all we got to do now is just play it day to day. I've always had a, a, a wild imagination to begin with, right? So as a prepper, it allows me to, I guess, uh, embrace it, if you will, but not to a point where I'm, I'm worried about alien attacks and zombies, you know? I have a more realistic approach. I Don't get me wrong, I do think about aliens and things like that, but I'm not worried about it happening today. But we know that there's gonna be another world war, right? We know that there's gonna be another pandemic. We know that there's gonna be another hurricane hit New York, and it's gonna be another blackout. Preppers are gonna be, I guess, backed by a situation like this now. They're going to realize that, thank God I was prepared, right? Thank God I had the N95 mask ahead of time. Thank God I had a bunch of Purell hand sanitizers on my own already. I don't have to worry about going to the store and not finding them. We hope that the average person would actually get on board now and start prepping because of something like this. But we are all, um, I guess, goldfish, right? Goldfish. This will pass, we'll forget about it. It's how the human brain's designed, I guess. Quickly forget. Ahmed Hossein is a general surgery resident based in New York who focuses on lung tissue bioengineering, transplantation, and immunology. On our sister series, M-Train, he talked to host Ahmed Ali Akbar about his work, this pandemic, and the city's new normal. You can listen to their full conversation on this week's episode by searching for M-Train Brick Radio or by tuning into the See Something, Say Something podcast, which co-produced the series with our senior producer, Shadeen Barhi. I want to hit line drive. Want to lose weight and keep eating? Here's Ahmed. How has life in New York City changed for you since, you know, this past month of corona 
both governmental regulation and like societal shift? Like, what are you seeing as the differences? That's a good question. So New York is uh, New York. It's New York City. It's busy. Um, and there's just so much going on. And probably for about the last two weeks or three weeks, New York has essentially like shut down progressively every week. You know, from a societal perspective, at least for me, I have been kind of at home for most of the time. I mean, I, I have some work that I got to go do uh, from a research perspective. That's that's kind of shut down uh, as of two days ago. Uh, and then I still have my clinical duties where I go see patients um, and, and that continues. So are you taking the subway? Like I haven't been on the subway since March 9th, almost two weeks. Um, so what is it like? Is it like completely empty? Like, yeah. <laughs> It, it is it is it is dead i think like uh i went to work uh i took the a train about three days ago uh eight o'clock nine o'clock in the morning uh and it's usually packed you you're taking it uptown i think i was one of three people on the subway it's like eerie right very very quiet yeah, yeah. So I guess like for people who, you know, I'm sure we've all done our reading, but I think it's worth like establishing like what is the disease like corona coronavirus and what are some of the um, ways in which like we can prevent the spread of the disease? It's a debilitating virus. If you ever had like a cough, runny nose, like a fever, sore throat or like just some congestion, that can be the majority of the symptoms. But in a small subset of those patients, maybe like 20%, they get much more like respiratory distress or essentially what that means is that you can't breathe on your own. You need extra oxygen support to help you breathe. What are the ways in which we can kind of prevent the spread of the disease? The best way to kind of limit that uh, spread is this whole concept of social distancing, right? So everybody needs to be at home. Uh, which basically means that if you stay at home, you don't expose yourself to other people, uh, you make sure that you wash your hands, you make sure that you're not getting within six feet of other people when you do interact with them, uh, because with the virus is basically something that is usually, um, if you have it, it's, it's when you breathe on other people or cough or sneeze, uh, it can kind of be uh, coughed out and that can stay in the air and it can land on surfaces. And if you touch those surfaces, uh, and then you interact or touch your face or, or rub your eyes or something like that, then you can actually end up getting the disease as well. Like I ha myself have been in, like I've basically socially isolated as best as I can. But what is so interesting and kind of scary for a lot of us um, is that many of our family members are healthcare workers and still have to go in. And even if you are not uh, somebody who, say, for instance, does internal medicine or is an ER doctor, it's still changing your work and uh, life at the hospital. And that's happening to you right now, I think, um, as a surgical resident. So can you tell us a little bit about like what's changed for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. So, so I mean, most of my work now is focused on research. And at the same time, uh, I also see patients, clinical patients, when I go into the hospital for part of my other job. Um, and from that perspective, we are canceling all of elective surgery. Uh, so basically anything that isn't considered urgent um, or emergent 
is not going forward because we're anticipating such a large influx of patients that are going to be needing to use the hospital and hospital resources and hospital personnel, doctors, nurses, whether they're surgeons or anesthesiologists or whatever, everybody's going to be kind of relocated to the parts of the hospital that are focused on this large influx of patients, which, as you can tell, obviously, it's, I mean, it's, it's extremely concerning, right? Because there's other problems that don't stop just because this virus is in place, right? I mean, if you have a kidney stone, for instance, that kidney stone is still there and it still needs surgery. But um, if there's not enough resources to take care of everybody, that's the concern. What you're saying is basically like it's kind of the calm before the storm. Like there's actually not that many cases yet for you or what, what's the kind of situation in terms of um, like what the hospitals are feeling like right now? The hospitals, I mean, the hospitals really are feeling a significant strain and the ICUs are, you know, increasing in their census and the number of patients in the hospitals are increasing. And in one hospital, basically, they needed to use a ventilator for some patients. Uh, they intubated about 15 patients uh, overnight uh, in one specific hospital. Here in New York, all of our ORs, it basically, we have two, two floors, a third floor and a fourth floor that have... Uh, that are full of ORs and they all have ventilators. One of those floors has completely become an ICU for COVID-19. Really, we've set up new tents outside the hospital. Most of the, the hospitals in New York City are basically just setting up triage tents to see patients that are coming in um, and make determinations of whether they need to be admitted to the hospital or not. Um, and I think within the, the prediction, at least in New York City, which is the epicenter I, of, of this problem, at least in the United States, and I think at the moment we have like 5% of all COVID patients or are, are, are like patients that are having this disease are actually coming up in New York. The idea is that within the next 20 to 30 days, uh, we are going to see a massive influx of these patients because the patients that get the disease Usually they don't have any symptoms for up to a week or up to 10 days. So you can feel fine today. Uh, and in, in a week from now, uh, you would need to be admitted to the hospital. Either you would need to be admitted to the hospital just to, to give you extra oxygen, or you would need to be admitted to the hospital and then be placed on a ventilator and then given extra treatments. Uh, so that peak is supposedly coming. We don't have the right gear. We don't have the right masks. Uh, we don't have the right gowns. Uh, and if your doctors are getting sick, other doctors are going to need to step in uh, who aren't experts, at least in, in kind of pulmonology. Um, but, but we're making do. So that's what we're all waiting for. This is the last stop on this train. Everyone, please leave the train. Thank you for riding with MTA New York City Transit. Does anyone have a uh, thermometer? I do. Uh -oh. Do you want me to yeah. take your temperature over? Someone does. Okay. No, I, it's not <laughs> needed right now, but I'm living with someone who has a sore throat. Uh oh. Um, I was looking into trying to get a thermometer, and it's pretty much impossible, or it seems to be impossible just over the internet. And I'm trying to avoid going to any store so yeah. good to know that if i, I might need to yeah if worse comes to worse point. yeah yeah, yeah let me say something that. like insane if you don't get your hands on a thermometer 
it's gonna sound really insane but if you gently kiss their forehead and if you feel heat in your lips that means they have a fever but, but isn't <laughs> heat <laughs> relative <laughs> like way. i'm in shock <laughs> if you like like it's like i know it's insane it's like an old thing but it's it really is beautiful no i was i know poetry completely <laughs> mesmerized yeah I'm so glad I'm recording this. <laughs> I knew, oh. I knew this would happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some good tape. Yeah, wow. Mark, Mark, Mark. <laughs> Amazing. With New York on pause and non-essential employees cooped up and socially distanced, sex workers are facing a total loss of income and fighting to adapt. Yin Q is a Brooklyn-based BDSM practitioner and the co-director of Red Canary Song, a grassroots organization that advocates for migrant massage parlor workers in Flushing, Queens. Yin called in to talk about women in business for a future episode of Brooklyn, USA, and stayed on the line to share how COVID-19 is affecting the kink community. So I'm literally sitting like in, halfway in and out of my closet, which opens up in my bedroom to be my desk. <laughs> So I have a closet that opens and on one side of my, um, the inside of the closet door is lined with like all my whips and my leather cane, you know, my leathers and my canes and the belts and like the crops and, you know, all my erotica fiction as well as sort of the theoretical ones, a lot of feminist and gender theory books. I'm Yin Q. Um, I use pronouns of both she and they, and I'm a BDSM educator and writer, um, event producer, and sex worker rights activist. I started professional DOM work um, back in 1998. <laughs> so yeah, that's a long time. Bondage, whether it's a piece of hemp rope, Heavy cuffs. Leather cuffs, a metal head cage. There's a design artistry to the puzzle piecing of anatomy and equipment. I actually remember the day that like one of my clients working on this kind of technology, the Zoom technology, I guess it was 15 years ago when he was like, yeah, one day, you know, we'll just be sitting and having like meetings, but on your screen. And I was like, yeah, but still you're going to want the bodies in front of you, you know, like for that human touch and that human connection and chemistry and trust and whatever. But yeah, now here we are. The people who do have access to online resources obviously are, are doing the same as everyone else is doing. They're, you know, finding community online, but because there's SESTA-FOSTA, there's only certain ways that people can gather without their gatherings being banned online under the sex working titles. You might think of the rights of sex workers as confined just to the particular people placed at risk by this law, SESTA-FOSTA, but I want to make clear that these laws eroded internet freedom for everyone. SESTA-FOSTA wiped a lot of sex work online, banning people's websites uh, under the sex working titles. Craigslist, Rent Boy, Instagram sites, Facebook. 
um, you name it, it's still rolling out. People who used to use websites to vet clients, who used to use websites, safe spaces to connect and interact, and those spaces went away because SESTA and FOSTA, and I want to make clear, the further thing that that portends is censorship, corporate censorship. People are being really cautious and it's really hard because most sex workers can't just, you know, switch automatically into doing cam work or video work or phone sex because those are not the mediums that they're tuned to. It's not the skills that they are tuned to. The work that I do with clients, all of my sessions, of course, have canceled these past few weeks. I'm not doing remote sex work because... Um, I'm 45. I'm not going to get on, on a cam or a video and be, you know, do cute looks right now. Um, and then workshops and then other work have also shifted. Right now, I don't know how overall how sex workers are adapting to remote work. I know that the massage parlor workers that we support in Flushing, their work has been impacted for three months, not just three weeks. Red Canary Song is a grassroots organization. Um, it's a collective of Asian American or APIA sex workers and allies. The incarceration of Asian females has gone up at a rate higher than any other demographic in these past couple of years after SESTA FOSTA. Since COVID had started um, in China, especially since there's a huge racist element to how this virus is being spoken about, even by the president, calling it the Chinese virus, their parlors, you know, really dwindled at the start of January. So people were only getting one client per day. And then finally, they shut down. People have no jobs right now. There are mutual aids that are being set up, like fundraisers, GoFundMes, all of those things are being set up all over nationwide. The local one right now is Brooklyn Swap. So people can actually go onto Brooklyn Swap and donate, and that money will get to sex workers, people who need it to pay their rent or need it to pay a phone bill so they can still stay in business. I do think that sex workers, I think that queers, and I think that um, people who are in kink really understand this idea of community care, communication, and mutual aid better than anyone else out there. The queers have been doing it through the AIDS crisis. That idea of supporting one another through crisis is within our history. It's within our ideas of service to community. Sex worker rights is about uh, migrant workers' rights. It's about gentrification. It's about housing. It's about it's about abolitionist movement, and all of it's also tied to environment. You know, how we how we care for our earth and how we care for each other is all one and the same. Skin hunger, neologism, noun. The desire for physical contact from another human being, especially after a period of deprivation. Etymology, a compound formed by the unhyphenated combination of skin and hunger. 
According to the Oxford English Dictionary, skin is borrowed from early Scandinavian, which closely mirrors the Old Icelandic and Old Norwegian word S-K-I-N-N, which refers to the natural external covering of an animal. Hunger, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, means the uneasy or painful sensation caused by want of food, craving appetite, and was derived from the following words, H-U-N-G-O-R, Old English, H-U-N-G-A-R, Old Saxon and Old High German, H-O-N-G-H-E-R, Middle Dutch, and H-U-N-G-R, Old Norse. Synonyms Skin hunger is also referred to as touch hunger or touch starvation. Sociolectical information The term is used by psychologists to describe the human need for skin-to-skin contact, which, when it is not met, may manifest in mental and physiological symptoms. The phenomenon was first studied after World War II by an American psychologist named Harry Harlow. Harlow conducted a series of controversial experiments that separated infant primates from their birth mothers. The need for bonding outweighed even the basic necessity of food. Harlow called this phenomenon contact comfort. Statistical information. In the mid-1970s, the term surged in popularity in the psychology community, with the publication of Sidney B. Simon's Caring, Feeling, Touching. It peaked in the late 70s and early 80s. Popularity of the term increased significantly after the 2013 publication of an article on skin hunger in Psychology Today. Example sentence. After three weeks of state-mandated shelter and unable to satisfy their mounting skin hunger, the couple resorted to standing six feet apart, closing their eyes, and pretending they could feel each other. Mert Aragol is an emergency room doctor in one of Brooklyn's busiest hospitals, and that's on a good day. But in recent days, and like all of New York's healthcare facilities, Dr. Aragol's place of work isn't just busy, it's a full-on war zone. The enemy they fight is stealthy and severe, and the armor they're afforded is worn down and running low. After yet another strenuous shift, he sat down with a well-deserved bourbon to catch up with his friend and our senior producer, Ross Tuttle, and to send us a message. Here's Mert. Hi, my name is Mert Aragol. I'm an emergency doctor in central Brooklyn at what appears to be the global epicenter now of the coronavirus uh, pandemic. My hospital serves a large immigrant population and they have been particularly hard hit by this virus. We have seen a steady rise of cases and it's starting to really step up and it's getting to the point where it's straining our resources and of course uh, we're worried about what's to come because uh, it's going to get worse. I mean in the best case scenario we're still going to be overwhelmed and our whole hospital is going to become a COVID treatment facility. Coronavirus has changed how we do emergency medicine. And it's not just the personal protective equipment and infection control precautions, but 
certain things that we used to do in the past like that really revolutionized how we treat congestive heart failure and emphysema are now uh, harder to use because they probably aerosolize the virus and increase uh, transmission to you know other patients and staff and so we're we're really not using it and um, these diagnoses are still coming in and they don't come in with a certificate that says you know I'm CHF I don't have COVID or I'm regular pneumonia you just don't know so you just have to assume everybody has COVID now so sometimes it's like practicing with one hand tied behind your back and then there are there are the problems that you wouldn't have thought of like what to do with the you know, the young patient who has the disease probably and lives with his grandparents and has nowhere else to go. And people don't have the resources in central Brooklyn or the social capital to go to their second home in the Hamptons. It's just not that kind of community. And so sometimes there aren't any good solutions and you have to be a witness to that and absorb it. And there's nothing you can do. It's hard to work in the ER on a good day, and now you're in this unwinnable situation, you know, at personal risk. And you see healthcare workers around the world in full spacesuits, and here you are, you know, rolling up your sleeves and going in uh, to a firefight with your bare knuckles. And it's like a, it's, it's something, you know. Um, I think the leadership, particularly at a federal level, I mean exclusively, let's say, at a federal level, has been criminally negligent, uh, calling this a hoax, saying it's under control, privileging the stock market and the economy. I think it helps to suddenly have this elevated heroic status, you know, on social media or whatever, and all my friends texting me. Uh, in fact, I think we're all a little uncomfortable with this admiration. We probably deserved it more when we were wrestling drunk guys at two in the morning, and now it's like we're saving Westeros. Uh, but uh, I think most people would do the same thing, you know. And you see how everybody's linked in society in a way that you didn't before, that the children in the schools and the homeless guys are all in contact with all of us all the time. It's amazing that all the other disease and misery that existed before this pandemic has kind of dried up. I mean, people are probably just having their heart attacks at home you know, watching Netflix or Westworld or something. We're just not seeing as many of them. There's less trauma, fewer people are outside, so they're not getting hit by cars. And and then you'll get the one guy who didn't get the message and he shows up for like a hangnail, you know, and then you're like, God bless you. I just want people to realize that this is a really, a really serious disease and people get very sick. Uh, it is, for the most part, you know, older people, immunocompromised people, but I'll tell you, you see a lot of young people getting really, really ill. They may not die, 
they may not contribute to this case fatality rate, but they get bad pneumonias, and who knows what the long-term consequences of this are. We actually have a couple of doctors from our emergency department um, and hospital who are in the ICU right now who picked up the disease taking care of patients. Um, so for our sake and for the sake of the medical system, please do stay at home, you know, listen to Governor Cuomo, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, this won't be uh, dragging on um, as long as some people have predicted. Good morning, it's Megs. I'm leaving this message from LA. Um, I miss all my brick people so much. I love you guys. You wanted me to share some things that are getting me through this time, so I have a couple. Okay, one thing that consistently cracks me up no matter how kind of bleak I'm feeling is that Frankie, my seven-year-old, he, well, he always has been kind of a nudist. He hates clothes. Um, he especially hates pants. Um, he can get by just in, in a t-shirt, but, um, and obviously he wears them to school every day. But um, now that he is not in school, he's mostly just nude or in just no pants mode. And uh, he, for some reason, will just arrive in a room. And every time he arrives in a room with no pants, he's like, hey, sisters, how my sister's doing? And I don't really know where he got it from. Like, I think some like an Instagram video or something that he saw. But you know, will either be in an intense family fight or I'll be feeling stressed about the world. And he slides in and he's like, hey, sisters. And um, it just totally cracks me up. And so now whenever I go into another room where he and Will are, I'm like, hey, sisters, how my sister's doing? And I don't know. It's just the most ridiculous thing that we're doing. And for some reason, it brings some levity to the situation. Um, the other thing that helps me is I, in times of crisis, like to read about situations that are bleaker than the one at hand. I know it's the opposite for a lot of people who want to watch something light or read something light, but this is a tried and tested over several different dark periods in my life. And uh, the book that I'm reading right now is called A Pyragon by Colin McCann. And it tells the unlikely friendship between two fathers, one who is Palestinian and one who is Israeli. And it is brutal and sad and beautiful and poetic. Yeah, that's it. I love you guys. Everyone be well. And I can't wait to be back in... New York soon and go dance on the table somewhere not Frank's Lounge anymore because it's closed which makes me sad but uh, it's going to happen people I love you guys Weekend weather with Griffin Weekend weather with Griffin Hi this is Griffin doing the weekend forecast I am also known as junior meteorologist Griffin Wormer your area, Brooklyn, New York. Ha Friday, high 64, low 44 type of weather might rain. 
You might want an umbrella or raincoat. Saturday, high 51, low 46. Type of weather, showers. You still want a raincoat. Sat Sunday, high 58, low 49. Type of weather, rain. Want a raincoat again? Fun, weekly fun fact. Puppies are... Did you know puppies are born blind? Thank you for listening. Have a great week, Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, USA is produced by me, Sasha Mathias. And me, Emily Bogosian. And me, Shireen Barry. And me, Charlie Hoxie. And me, Carol Palmer. And me, Mayimi Sato. With help this week from Ross Tuttle, Ahmed Ali Akbar, Junior Meteorologist Griff C., Lauren, Taylor, and Susie Kim, who provided the soundtrack for the show. She recorded it earlier this month on Friday the 13th as part of the Never Records installation at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. Incidentally, it was the day before the installation was forced to close early on account of New York's coronavirus outbreak. Hey, my name is Amadali Ekber. Um, I live in Harlem, but I actually went to Michigan where my dad lives because he's a healthcare worker and he lives alone. So I quarantined for a while, really didn't, you know, touch anything on the way out, made sure to, you know, minimize my exposure. Um, but, you know, definitely like missing New York. Um, and, you know, I've spent a lot of my time basically like... You know, kind of the same. I've always worked from home for the last year and a half or so, so I'm sort of still doing that. That schedule's the same. Sort of feels surreal. Um, I'm cooking a lot. You know, I made like two breads that didn't require yeast. Um, you know, very simple breads over the last week. And, um, you know, I basically don't really order takeout anymore. I'm like cooking for my family. So that's kind of nice. And then also I am actually working out more than I ever have in my life. Like I'm not somebody who ever works out regularly. I have probably worked out three or four days out of the last six and that's a huge amount for me um so yeah i guess i'm like focusing on family and friends and being healthy um but yeah yeah i am definitely watching the numbers with a lot of um trepidation and you know really hoping to like make sure like not nobody in my family gets infected because like i said my father and many other people I know and many of my friends are, you know, um, both, you know, going into work um, for jobs that are essential, but also, you know, a lot of healthcare workers who are having direct contact. So, yeah, I'm just trying to keep my family healthy by cooking and exercising um, and also watching some historical dramas. If you have something to say and want us to share it, all you have to do is call 917-719-0021. Tell us your name, where you're calling from, email, we'll edit this out, we just want to know how to reach you, and any and all of the things that you need or want to say. It can be a story, a joke, a secret, a coping mechanism, a hope, a regret, something that you overheard from six feet away, or have been thinking about, worrying about, a thing that scared you, or a thing that made you smile. Or you can recommend a movie, or a book, or an app, or an album, or even, yes, a podcast. And if you'd rather just record yourself and send it in, open up your phone's voice memos or voice recorder app, hit record, tell us anything you want to share, 
and email the audio file to brooklynusapodcast at gmail.com. We're here when you need us, and we can't wait to hear from you. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org slash radio. Hello. You're listening to the Brooklyn USA podcast. 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 Making a podcast in my bathroom under quarantine. (sighs) Hello.